morning, guys. Good morning. Happy Friday. Uh, I guess it's not morning, it's afternoon. And and out here in a park in Miami and yeah, outside. And, and this isn't uh, movie magic or it's really cold and I'm just like really strong and powerful and that's why I have a tank top on. It's freaking hot out here. It's like 80 degrees out here um, today. And, and I know, I, I almost feel bad putting this out there, especially if you guys are, are locked inside in the snow. But yeah. I mean, I, I grew up here, and, and and just the warmth to be outside in the sun is, is something special to me. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to do this for you guys out here, but the Wi-Fi isn't great. So I brought my questions written down. I wrote down your questions. Next time we'll do it live, or we can do it somewhere with a little bit better Wi-Fi so you guys can um, ask me the questions as I answer them. And there's a lot of stuff here. There's stuff here, um, very specific movement stuff, yoga stuff, and and some more kind of uh, personal want to know questions. It's it, it's all good. I'm really glad that you guys um, have asked me these, and I'll get to as many of them as I can. So I'll, I'll read out the names, uh, but if I don't if I don't know your specific name and I kind of know you by your your handle, I'll kind of call out the handle too. So some really cool stuff here. Uh, one of, the, one of the interesting ones that, that I got, and I get it a lot, I get it a lot, is is, is what is my training like? Um, moving with plants asked me that. Uh, uh, Mark Doss, a, a good friend of mine that's that's a teacher in Bali, a handstand teacher, and and so many other people want to know what, what my training is like. And I always have a hard time answering um, that question because I, when, when I think about, about movement, it's... I, it's it's not really something that I look at as training. Training, and, and it, it depends on who you are and, and what relationship you have with that word, what relationship you have with the story behind training. Because <coughs> I've never been one for, for disciplining myself to things that I don't want to do. Um, I, it has to have a certain element of, of craving, a certain element of I want to do this so badly that that it calls to me like I can't imagine not doing it so when I'm talking about when someone else talks to me about training training to me sounds like something that requires discipline in the sense of I don't really want to do it but I think it's good for me so I'm gonna like force myself to do it or I'm gonna put myself on a schedule and I'm gonna do things that I really really don't like and really really don't want to do to someday get to the movements that that I want to do and and it doesn't live like that for me um, not to say that some of this stuff isn't isn't challenging and takes time and takes effort and takes work, but it, it comes to me from a place of play, from a place of craving. So you'll notice the way that that we teach movements. There seems to be an element of fun to it. Hopefully, especially if you've been in one of my workshops or in in some Devin's cla Devin's classes, uh, the the movements that that we we develop and research and and bring to you guys are, are are movements that have an element of of play of adventure of exploration of, of of feeling good when you get it because to me that isn't something that's a nice extra added bonus to me it's primary it's primary to have this be something that is fun for us to for this to be something that it's not like oh I, it's fine. I gotta put it as a priority. I gotta put working out as tops of my list because I know it's good for me. That'll eventually fail. At least for me, it'll eventually fail. It'll eventually get to a point where if I have ten things to do, the thing that's good for me that I'm trying to prioritize, 
eventually is going to be the thing that's very easy for me to justify that falls off my list. But now, if I can't wait to play the way that I did when I was a kid, it doesn't matter. Like, nothing's going to take priority over that. Not nothing, but most things aren't. I don't need to work myself up into a frenzy to go do it. I don't need to um, convince myself of how good it is. It's just something that I can't wait to get to. If you can think when we were kids and, you know, didn't matter how tired we are, like playing was just so inherent that we could be, we would literally be falling over playing all day at a party and we're young and we're sitting in the corner trying to play and as we're trying to play it's nodding off and then we'll play and then, you know, our parents or our guardians see us and they're like, wow, you're so tired, you need to get to bed. And they try to take us away from the game and we'll pretend that we're just fine. Like, tiredness has nothing to do with it and we want to keep going. And then the next day we don't, we don't need to take you know, a day or two because this is my rest day from playing, so I don't want to play today because I did a lot of playing yesterday and it was exhausting. So now, you know, today's going to be my rest day where I'm not going to play because I want to let my muscles to recover. You know, I want to let myself, I'm going to enjoy this day off from playing. Shit didn't happen. It was, I played yesterday. I will play today every waking moment that I can. And then tomorrow I'm going to wake up and do the same thing. And it has nothing to do with it being good for me. It's because it's something so inherent to me that I love it so much that I can't imagine not doing it. I will move things around as much as I have to to be able to go play, to be able to move. I'll wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, especially when I'm researching something new and there's some new movement in the middle of the night that I'm like, wow, okay, that's a great way to connect these lines or this is a great way to explore this relationship. Like, I'll start getting excited, almost like a kid at Christmas when Christmas just happened. Like, I remember being a kid at Christmas and not being able to wait to, for, for Christmas morning to come because, ooh, I couldn't wait to play with those presents that were going to be there. Same thing. Same thing if even just as a, as a thought problem. I'm thinking about something in movement. I'm like, wow, that's a great way to explore. I can't wait to put this on. And, like, Devin knows we'll be in a supermarket and it'll be like, wow, these big hallways. I'm going to go try this right now because I can't imagine not doing it can't imagine not doing it so so when it comes to training it comes to me much more from oh, what can I play with today what can I explore it's a different kind of sensation it's a different kind of feeling so I, I, I've been with people who who are like amazing movers amazing uh, practitioners amazing arm balancers and and, and, and they'll have spreadsheets and they know exactly how long their holds are and they'll change the variables and they'll adjust them and, and it's a very kind of workman-like, you know, almost accounting-like way of getting into movement and, and how to develop a practice. And, and it's, and it, and it's not, not a wrong way or a right way to do it, just not the way that I do. To me, that, that craving, that sense of play has to come first. And that can take away a little bit of that from me. And I'm not as interested in, in being a very good arm balancer or specifically being a very good yogi or specifically being a very good primal mover or a very good martial artist or a very good anything. What, what, what I'm interested in is, is understanding this instrument so well. And not only this instrument, this instrument, this instrument, like everything that's attached to this in a way that no matter what situation I'm in or how I want to play or what game, as far as game, you know, Tai Chi, um, juggling, handstands, uh, dance, whatever game I want to play, I am so in tune with this that all becomes part of the playground that's accessible to me. I want that playground, the things that are accessible to me, 
to be bigger and bigger. I don't want to specify or specialize myself so much that my playground becomes very small when my playground is only handstands. And I'm, I'm really good at handstands the way that I've trained them, but all of a sudden I come to play with these guys and they're doing some really cool things with handstands that I've never done before, something more fluid. And all of a sudden like my system glitches and I don't understand how to get into that, uh, which is a different thing that I can't get into it yet. Not understanding how to get into it, not understanding how to use my instrument to work towards something is different from I need a certain amount of of time with it. I need a certain amount of time with a new game. Any new game that we learn, it takes a little while before we get quote unquote good at it or we understand things. So there's a trial and error period at the beginning, but the understanding of it can be cultivated without actually ever having done the specific movements. And that's much more exciting to me. Like I'll, I'll use the, the analogy of, of Miles Davis playing the trumpet. Miles Davis playing the trumpet, he understands music. So you can give him Mary Had a Little Lamb in music and he could see and read Mary Had a Little Lamb and he'll look it over. But then when Miles Davis plays it on his trumpet, it's not going to sound like any Mary Had a Little Lamb that anyone has played before. What he understood deeply wasn't the notes, the very simple notes of Mary Had a Little Lamb. What he understood deeply was his instrument. He understood th deeply the trumpet, how to use his mouth, how that relationship between his mouth and his trumpet and the fingers and all of these in his body and his breath. And those are the things that he understood well. He understood the relationships between notes. He understood music in general. He understood trumpet. He understood his breathing mechanics. That's what allowed him to play. He wasn't interested in imitating Mary Had a Little Lamb, even though he could. He could totally do it. What he was interested in is in expressing something unique to himself with this deep understanding of his instrument. And when we're talking about movement and training, that is much more the way that I teach, the way that I train, the way that I play. So in the way that we talk about and share movement, it's this idea of understanding the instrument, giving someone the tools and skills to explore deeply in themselves more than much more than here let me teach you a way to imitate my movements yeah so i hope that kind of makes sense so a little bit more specific is that it changes every day we travel a lot uh, a lot of times the places that we're we're staying at we're staying in someone's extra bedroom especially when we're visiting family uh we're staying in when we were in maine we were staying in these tiny little like hobbit houses and i know i'm a tiny little hobbit for sure <laughs> i've got like tiny little hobbit feet I'm, I'm very compact and stocky so tiny little hobbit houses totally cool for living but when you're talking about movement it's not a yoga studio it's not a whole yoga room sometimes it's a couple of feet between the bed and the wall that's next to me so if i come to this idea of i need to move in a certain way or train in a certain way or have a certain regimen that I need to get to in order for it to be a good training day, I can be frustrated a lot. So a lot of times the way that I train, the movements that I make have definitely something to do with what I'm craving that day, like what's interesting to me, what I'm curious about that day, how much space I have, how my energy level is. Like sometimes I've taught, you know, I've traveled to Korea for the weekend, taught 
you know, for three days, made it back to the States, I'm not probably going to do the most vigorous practice ever on that day. It might just be, you know, exploring something in my hands and the relationship between my hand and the floor and, and going into that deeply. And then moving from a lot of different places, discovering that and different connections. And then all of a sudden that rabbit hole will make me curious about the relationship between my wrist and my elbow. And that will fascinate me for a while. And then hmm, what's my left foot doing as my right hand is on the floor. That'll fascinate me for a while. So those fascinations, those curiosities, those places where I crave open doorways to the next thing that I'm going to train or play with. Um, the absolute truth is sometimes my whole movement training play is about 15 minutes at a time and, and sometimes I don't get a lot more than that when, when we're busy so uh, yeah like <laughs> I know it sounds it sounds like that can't possibly be true and and it's one of the things that I get so excited about in in, in the research and development that we're doing in this new paradigm and movement is that it doesn't necessarily require a long time of training to get strong or to get mobile or or to do the things that you really want to do it's it's not that you know carrot at the end of a stick for the donkey the donkey keeps following the carrot and the donkey will never get to the carrot because it's always being put a little bit in front of him or that idea of there's a gatekeeper and you've got to go to your gatekeeper teacher or guru to one day be worthy of the, ne the next fucking pose or the next whatever, the next page in the book or the next book that will give you the secret, that, that the secrets are already written in you and, and the understanding that allows you to start to unwrap those secrets isn't just being held by one person or by one practice or by one modality. They're, they're literally written into everything that we are. And, and, and these, these, these magics, because they are magics. Uh, I'm not talking about like the magic of, of, of chakras or whatever someone's, someone else's symbology tells you that the magic is. I'm talking about the actual magic that these other magic words are trying to put in a box. I'm talking about like, like the actual magic of being able to do that and how special it is to just be able to do that, how special it is to have eyes and somehow these lenses, these mirrors, not only can take in information from the outside, but we can create a whole story about them. Our imaginations, our fascinations can create this whole narrative so we can literally create from our world whatever story we want. And, and that's so magical in and of itself that I don't like that diluted by someone else's symbols by someone else's story about what that magic can be like that's for you to decide it's for you to discover like what we teach isn't the destination it's a way to journey it's a way to get there it's skills and discovery yeah so this is a sightseeing journey like we're dropped into this playground or we grow up out of this playground and it literally is a playground that we can explore and we're so quick to be told here are the steps here's the well-worn path stay on it everything that's meant to be explored has been explored already uh, people smarter than you have already figured all that shit out. Like what you mean? No, there's been people 3,000 years ago that have decided whatever, 100 years ago, that have gotten all the really good poses and they know exactly everything that's going on. No, they fucking did it. They fucking did it. Like this is so infinite. What we are is so infinite that we can spend lifetimes, lifetimes trying to discover all this stuff. So we'll never get to the end, which makes it a really exciting thing. 
So hope that answered a little bit of what I do to train. So it's a lot of fascination, a lot of discovery. Um, time varies. Sometimes it is all arm balances. Sometimes it's not arm balances at all. Sometimes back bends and how to make them feel good is, is what I'm into. But there usually is a sense of, of making every movement that I do feel good. If something doesn't feel good or something feels like my shoulder is just holding on for dear life or my wrist is just being held by my strength and if I let go of the strength, like that's not going to feel good. That's not the sense that I'm looking for. I'm looking for this full body relationship with my movements. So we'll talk a little bit more about that when I want to answer a few of the other ones. So that was for moving with plants was the one that asked the, the couple that asked me this one, but but it's, it's a common one that I get. It's a common one that I get. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Judith. Yeah, Judith is awesome. Judith, we've had a hard time deciding how to spell, or I'm sorry, how to how to enunciate, how to pronounce your handle. So we're not sure if it's Mrs. Ophiel, Mrs. Ophelia, but, but I know that your name is Judith. So Judith, one of the things that Judith asked was was how did Devin and I meet? So I um that was all that was all Devin. That was all Devin. I, I was already on on Facebook and Google, and she was actually a, an Ashtangi and really deep into her Mysore practice. And and she sent me, and I'm definitely not <laughs> not an Ashtangi, and, and it's not a traditional sort of practice, even though it was more traditional back then, a little bit more traditional back then. And uh, and I got a Facebook message. I mean, she had already friended me, and I was really like like she's so like cool looking, like with the dreads and like the light skin and the red hair and like her eyes are incredible so so she had already friended me on 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 facebook but then she sent me a message saying that uh that that where did i teach that she was really interested in my classes and, and so i i let her you know i sent her like information about what classes that i teach and uh and and she showed up and i told her which classes and she's like okay cool and and, and she showed up to the to, to one of my classes when I was still teaching at this studio called Green Monkey in Miami, one of the last classes that I taught there because they were changing ownership and I moved on. Um, but then after that, like she was in my class, like, you know, she was a student and then after the class we were walking out and and she introduced herself to me and, and we ended up talking there on the street on the sidewalk for, I don't even know how long it was, it was about an hour and a half and, and that we spoke. So what I found out later is, uh, that she was totally stalking me. That's that's basically like the gist of the story is that she was stalking me and, and she found it on Facebook and and and, uh, and we hit it off pretty quick. She she'll she'll admit that now that she was a total stalker and, and, and she liked me and, and and it's been it's been amazing. It's been a, an amazing journey. Like that's just like the tip of the iceberg of of <laughs> of us and, and the craziness and like just like picking up and leaving and and doing all these weird things, but if you guys don't know who Devin is, like, like watch her, follow her. She's fucking amazing. Yeah. So let's see, what else do we have here? Z. Z, this is cool. I'll, I'll answer Z. So Z, Yum Z. Yum Z asked about rest days and healthy eating. So that's 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 some cool stuff. So rest days and healthy eating. I'll go back a little bit to what I said when we were talking about the. The, the training, the way that I train. So it's it's the same kind of idea. So I'll, I'll go back. So I I don't know about you guys, but I didn't have any rest days when when I was a kid and, and we were playing. And 
and I would play with my friends and play tag and hide and seek and jump around and play basketball and run out and play football and come home exhausted and dirty and take a shower and, and go to bed and I wouldn't wake up the next day and, and, and be like, oh shit, you know, I need, I need a rest day. I need a rest day because I need to let my muscles recover. I need to let the lactic acid build up come down. I need to, you know, let, it, it, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing. Um, that's been a much later idea. And that much later idea has something to do with the why. So if my idea of why I'm doing this is because it's something I crave and I love to move and I want to open up myself to as many options and possibilities and understanding and, and healthy movement as possible, that's a different why than what I'm trying to do is build muscle. If building muscle is my goal, then rest days make sense because now I'm looking at um, the maximum hypertrophic, hy hy can't pronounce, the maximum, the maximum amount of muscle gains and what the process is to make that mu maximum uh, amount of muscle gains in the shortest amount of time. That's when rest days and how much rest do I need in order to let my muscles recover and grow quickly. That's different from my why. So I'm not that interested in rest days and I'm definitely not fucking interested in Ashtanga's rest days where it has to do with a woman's cycle. Like we're gonna talk about that later, but um, the truth is it was a very uh, misogynistic um, male dominated practice that was telling women that for some reason despite what they thought and how they felt about how their bodies and what their own understanding about their bodies were this male-dominated practice was telling these women that no 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 when you're when, when this stuff is going on with you we don't want to be anywhere around you you need to be over there away from us um, it doesn't sit well with me for a lot of reasons but that's that's a big one so definitely not rest days when it comes to those kinds of things rest days like that depends on how you feel like like learn your body different people react differently to different things you might feel totally great and want to move and, and, and it's actually gonna be really good for you to move things around and get into it's not going to be probably the same practice that you do um when you're feeling completely you know alive and awake and yes and, and strong or if you're feeling like you're in pain or or if you're just having a great day it, these these are all things that should be taken moment by moment and very individual to to the person not as a dogma or as a commandment handed down but then we're talking about rest days as far as as health i don't take rest days i don't take rest days um but i also don't think that i have to work out for an hour a day or two hours a day or four hours a day or some of the other things that i've heard in order to be able to do some of the things that that we can do and feel good because the truth is i feel better now than than i did at 20 and I'm, and I'm and i'm older than 20. like this is the most mobile most strong uh, that i've ever been and ever felt and that included when i was you know really strong and, and like that strong really muscular yeah so and, and and healthy eating god that's such a big topic I'll take I'll take this one on and then we'll we'll, we'll do a few other ones. Um, healthy eating is 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 a big one and, and and right now there's almost like this overload of of information and there's there's a lot of different things that come into this. So I'll try to 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 mention a few of a few of the things that that I believe when it comes to to healthy eating. Um, 
again, it's it's very individual, and and, and I do believe that we have things in us that we have uh, a mechanism in us that that will tell us what's healthy. That that the things that we like, that the things that we crave in a healthy system, in in a system that that hasn't been patterned away from that, uh, or becomes a pathology. We're, when we're in that system, when we're really in tune with what we want, what we like, that it's in moderation, and it, it, we have everything that we need to understand as far as healthy eating inside of ourselves. Uh, now, right from the time that we're really young, that can be fucked with, that can be messed with. That can be messed with. If, if you talk to, uh, you know, some people that have been through 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 bulimia or through anorexia, that that sense, that healthy sense of what's healthy for us has been fucked, has been messed with, has been patterned where even the relationship with food has a, a weirdness to it, where the things that are healthy for us all of a sudden mentally, the story that we have behind those things is so different that we start to look at food because of some mental construct construct because of some story as something that needs to be conquered that there's a battle that needs to be had with this stuff and what happens when someone's in recovery from bulimia from anorexia a lot of times it's that they almost need someone else to come in and step in and and help them repattern the story around food and around health and around what's good for them and what's not because they've they pattern themselves into another situation where it's no longer the physical, the craving of the food that's giving them that. Like now it's, is this something that I should do? Ah, whatever. If I do this, then I'm going to look like this. If I look like this, then these people over here aren't going to like me. I want these people to like me. So this thing is not good for me because of what I think that having this thing will mean over here mentally, emotionally, because of the story that I've now created, patterned, been told, believed, whatever you want to say about that. Um, so that becomes a pathology. That becomes uh, something that has to be worked on. And then, yes, and then we, we need a lot of outside help to get us back to that neutral where it's like, wow, I'm hungry. You know, I'm hungry for something salty. I can eat something salty because that feeling of I want something salty is a mechanism that we all have that there's something missing. Um, we talked about uh, women on, on their periods and, and I've spoken with different women or, or someone that's anemic that all of a sudden they'll start to crave, like low levels of anemia, they'll start to crave iron, like things with iron in it. Even someone that doesn't eat meat at that point will be like, oh, I don't eat meat, but wow, like for some reason I'm craving a steak. And, and, and there's a super genius intelligence in us that can call to us that we're, if we're in tune with it, these things will seem obvious. Also, being hungry. Cool, I'm hungry, I'll eat. Wow, I'm no longer hungry. I can eat a little bit more because it tasted really good, but for the most part, I'm not going to overstuff myself because the thing that was calling me to food, the hunger, is now less. So I don't have that, ooh, I wanna eat this thing. And again, and you gotta, you gotta be careful because the sugar thing, awesome sugar also i'm craving something sweet could be could be i'm craving carbo carbohydrates my energy is kind of low i need a quick pick me up but now if i'm craving sugar so much 
one of the reasons is because I'm starving myself through the day because I have a weird relationship with food because I want to eat less because I'm worried about the way that I look and how I'm going to be perceived and I'm constantly looking outside for approval for from somebody else and I'm not saying that's a bad thing we all fucking do that but that becomes the driver on me not eating throughout the day and all of a sudden all I'm craving is sugar that's an instinctual survival response of like my energy is dropping I need something and the quickest way to get energy in my body to help me do my daily task evolutionarily is sugar so then I begin to crave sugar and wow now I now I get sugar and I can't stop eating it because now it's a survival fucking thing like now I'm on survival mode now I'm trying to get sugar into my body because you know my system that's been developed over time in this genius way is saying wow we need to put something in here we need energy we need to get through this day we need to be able to find we need energy to be able to find more food so now I've got this craving with sugar and now it's giving me that kick that endorphin kick that endorphin rush so now here's the pathology now I'm looking to sugar to fulfill that need so now I can starve myself and then get the sugar craving later and it becomes this weird paradoxical thing where we've lost the ability to just kind of feel into ourselves and be like hmm I'm craving sweets awesome let me get a couple sweets no problem wow I'm craving whatever it is something with iron in it oh I'm craving salt or I'm craving water, or I'm craving whatever whatever it is. So to me, healthy eating starts first with a removal of the restrictions, very similar to the way that we teach movement. Very similar. Like the first thing that we want to get into is an awareness of what's going on, proprioceptive awareness and movement, or a psychological or emotional awareness, physical awareness uh, with food, with the food patterns. And then after that, after we have the awareness, then we have to go in there and start to affect the story to see what the story is that's causing that in movement. We talk about restrictions, fossil restrictions, um, movement restrictions. In this, it would be what are the stories that are restricting us from being able to feel and move from that place, from that felt sense. Same in movement. What is it that's preventing my shoulder from moving so I can actually feel what's going on here so I can get the whole relationship back in my body. So healthy eating comes from that. And look, there's things that I eat like there's no that there's no uh, justification as far as this is something that's very healthy for me and some of the things that I eat love ice cream there's no justification or story or I'm not going to try to convince everybody that ice cream is a healthy food and this is why you should eat fucking ice cream but the truth is I love ice cream I love ice cream and if I'm not careful like I understand but if I'm not careful and I'm feeling bad or whatever it is I'll sit there with a whole tub of ice cream and I used to and eat the whole freaking tub of ice cream. That's not great. But eating some ice cream, doing the things that we love, within the scope of feeling good at the same time, is something super healthy. It's super healthy. If you're looking for anything that's gonna fucking kill you, everything will kill you. You breathe enough air, it'll kill you. You drink enough water, it'll kill you. There's nothing, like enough life is deadly. Life will eventually kill us depends on what you believe about science it's taking longer and longer but eventually anything in life anything that we enjoy will kill us but I'm not looking to prolong an empty life long longer I'm looking to enjoy my life to the fullest to feel as good as I can and enjoy the things to experiment with the things to play with what's out there for me and do the things that I enjoy so I, I, I move well I listen to my body I eat I'll eat ice cream when I'm full I'm done uh, I'll drink a Coke. Uh, there's things that I don't like. I don't like chocolate. 
I just don't like it. I'm not. It's not a moral stand that I'm making against chocolate. I don't like it, so I don't eat it. I don't. I don't feel like I've got to expand my palate because I need to have more things to eat. I'm good with what I like. I'm good with what I don't like. Um, I think it starts with awareness. Yeah, good question. Let's see, let's see what else do we have. Let's see. My yoga flower. Yeah. So a couple couple different questions from her so slow movements and focus slow movements and focus I think she was asking was, that was the whole question but I think what she was asking or she's asking what you're asking is is about moving slowly and what that means and and to me it's fucking delicious it's you know I'll move quickly I love to jump around I love to bounce but slow movements I'm not trying to focus myself I'm not trying to force myself into focus again to me it comes from this complete and utter curiosity and fascination like look at a kid when they're playing look at a kid when they're enthralled in a movie or in a book or in a story or in a game they're not trying to focus this is a very fucking adult thing the same thing that we were talking about food like when we've lost the ability to be so fascinated in the moment with what we're doing we talk about things like an app to help us focus, meditation practices to teach us how to focus. And I think we've just lost the hunger, desire, lust for life. Like we think that we've been there and done that, that everything around us has been explored and discovered. That's fucking wrong. It hasn't. It hasn't. Henry Miller's Blade of Grass, anything that we put that kind of attention into, it's a beautiful, incredible, magical universe in and of itself. It doesn't have to be a special blade of grass. That's the thing. It's all a special blade of grass. It's all a magnificent universe in and of itself. And if a blade of grass is fascinating, how about the science behind your hands? How about the feeling in your breath? How about what you can do? Like if you really understand or not even understand, if you can really drop in to what it feels like to move something focus doesn't have to be something that you cultivate it becomes something you can't help but have because it's just ah, so amazing so incredible that there's nowhere in that moment that's going to be more fascinating than what you're doing there and to me that comes that's what i'm talking about when i'm talking about um focus and, and moving slowly it's easier to feel it's easier to see sometimes and it takes the autopilot off and you start to notice oh when I move my hand this way my shoulder comes up here why wow wait let me start again okay so my shoulders down my shoulders down my shoulders down oh now it wants to come up what happened there okay let me bring it back it becomes a better canvas to explore the intricacies the differences in there and 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 how to you know, peel out how to paint out the different colors so I can see the whole rainbow of what's happening. Yeah, so that was a really good question, and and I'll and I'll go a little bit. I'll answer another one of of her questions. My yoga flower. Um, how would you describe your body, God, as the most magical fucking thing I could imagine? And this is a much later definition for me. This is a much later way of seeing this. Um, but to me, it's a playground, it's a tool, it's, it's a place of discovery, it's, it's a mad scientist lab, it's, 
a way of artistic expression. It's a musical instrument. It's it's a it's a universe in and of itself. It's a universe in and of itself. It's a canvas. You can see it's it's definitely a canvas. Um, it's it's the magic that I take with me wherever I go. Yeah, those are the best things I came up with. What I came up with in the moment, but yeah, something like that. So let's see what else can we do. And a couple of things here. So, Happy Jopi asked about pranayam. So, pranayam, pranayama. So, for those of you that don't know, aren't in, in yoga or haven't uh, studied yoga or know what pranayama is, pranayama are, are traditionally known as uh, breath exercises. Uh, pranayama was two different ways of translating pranayama from Sanskrit. One way is restraint of breath, which is in a lot of schools, that's what they that's what they say, that's what they mean, or that's what they teach as a translation to pranayama. Um, prana means breath or energy or life force, and 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 yama is is restraint. So prana yama would be restraint of breath is is the way or control uh, restraint. Another word for restraint can be control. So control or restraint of breath would be a definition but here's the interesting thing about prana yama and putting them together as as one word you can break it up a little bit further and have it be prana ayana or pran ayama so the a in ayama in sanskrit becomes a negation so prana ayama ayama would be release of restraint or not restraint negative restraint so prana ayama could also be considered a freedom in the breath or a release of the restrictions of the breath and what i'm thinking about prana ayama at least the way that i teach yoga when i teach yoga that's much more of the idea so it's not this how do we restrain it how do we control it it's how do we free it how do we let it go how do we let the magic of the breath explode into what it should be so all this magic and the way that we breathe can be unleashed not controlled and squeezed in but that's just a quick uh, etymology on, on pranayama but just to tell you that my thoughts on pranayama as far as breathing exercises um, I want to teach people how to connect with the breath not just because of the emotional aspects but as, as a mover as, as someone that's so fascinated like so enthralled so happy to move the breath is primary it's, it's almost as primary as fun in in good healthy movement and in, in health in the body because it doesn't just have this this um this job of drawing air in and exchanging you know respiration and exchanging oxygen with carbon dioxide and, and and those things absolutely important function but it also has a lot to do with the system the muscular system of the body and in movement and in this scaffolding that puts the whole body where it needs to be so even as we move the balanced tensions in the body have a big 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 part the breath has a big part to do in the health in our movement and how movement is organized in our bodies but most people especially in our western modern society and not just western aren't 
breathing a full breath. So either because of restrictions in the body or movement patterns, we'll see some of the ones we'll see is this is kind of caved in here. So these people are breathing much more in the back, nothing in the front or very little in the front. Or we'll see someone that's hyperlordotic here where they've got no space in the back and they're probably just breathing here or someone that's just chest breathing, not belly breathing or some other kind of oh, shoulders roll forward here or some other kind of dysfunction don't take that word let's say compensation i don't like the word dysfunction some kind of compensation in the way that they breathe now i could take this person and teach them i don't know how to do breath holds or breath counts or how to do some of the other more esoteric forms of 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 breath exercises pranayamas that there are but truly what I want this person to understand is, is how to get more freedom and ease and full breath. I want to teach them how to breathe naturally, how to breathe fully, how to take a full breath, a three-dimensional circumferential breath through their whole rib cage. And then we can start talking about some of the other things. But I really want them to understand the magic of their breath when it comes to movement, how to use their diaphragms well, how to release any restrictions they have in the front of their chest or in their upper back and in their belly or even the space in their lumbars so everything can move with their breath and once you get someone to that place now they can start to explore their breath from a, a genius scientist explorer level and they, they will start the breath will move like if you start to run your breath will do what it's got to do to, to, to give you the oxygen, oxygen that you need like what are some of the best runners in the world? Let's say a cheetah. A cheetah doesn't sit there doing fucking pranayama. And it still has the capacity to take off at a 55 mile per hour sprint and breathe fully. How much oxygen do you think that needs for that kind of a short burst or, or long burst? Or, or these animals that, that traverse like long distances and, and they're steady and they're going. Well, in their natural breath, in their unrestricted, free breath, it's all that they need to have this full sense, to have this full, healthy connection to their breath. So it's not that it's not interesting to explore pranayama. There's just a level that, that's, that's more inherent, that to me has more magic, that comes before that, that I'm more interested in getting someone into. So I'll give you guys, I'll give you guys some, some of the breathing exercises that I do when I say exercises it's it's explorations and games to play yeah but but to me it's it's that free breath where it's all directions belly is breathing everything is moving with breath like that's really what I want to teach people first and uh, it might come to the point where I want someone to to go into deeper forms of breath holds but they're going to be very simple for the most part I think there's a lot of magic deep 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 infinite magic in the more simple breath works in the more simple breath games or breath explorations good question hmm. all right so i'll answer a couple of more and then i've got to go so handstand stuff so a couple of different ones here uh judith again wanted to know a little bit about the diaphragm and the natural use of the feet on the ground um Chloe wanted to know about uh, handstand practice, like how does she build uh, strength towards handstand and forearm stands, uh, what else? Joy of all trades, handstand prep, uh, and also this, this 
that other leaning back of control hero thing that I did, but I'll talk more about that in a separate video. And I thought there was another one with the handstand stuff. Yeah. And Ironside Yoga, Tiffany wants to know um, TBA engagement and how it applies to mobility. So all this stuff can be really, really cool. So and moving with plans, two to three exercises to prep for handstands, to prep for a first handstand on our own. So I'll tell you what, I'll talk a little bit about the way that I see handstand and, and, and how I prep for it. So to me, handstand is, is a place to explore the things that I learn in other places. Very difficult to learn some of these more subtle actions and subtle relationships in the body when you're fucking upside down, you have the fear of death, you think your head's gonna fall on the floor, your arms might not be strong enough to do anything, maybe you're super tense because now you're fearful and it's all in your neck and now I'm gonna talk to you about how to go upside down. Probably, or, or what to engage or what to turn on to stay up there. Probably not the best place to understand those kinds of things. So, here's the cool thing. The relationships in the body are what are going to teach you how to hold those same relationships when you're upside down. So the more that you can get the connections, the relationships, the balance tensions in your body from standing or from sitting in all of these different places, when you go upside down, those balance tensions make the upside down, the handstand something that can be accessed with greater ease and playfulness and less attention to it's got to look like this because if I tell someone it's got to look like this they're going to do whatever they got to do in their body to make that happen even if it's something that's not healthy for them yeah so that's why we don't come from a place of like imitate this fucking shape we come from a place like Miles Davis did it's like nah like figure out your instrument will help you get there to understand it well and how to balance the tensions out and then from that understanding of the balances now let's play now can you hold those same tensions upside down? And then I can give someone little drills, little play things to do of how to get there. Yeah. So I'm going to make a whole other video on how to start with handstand from the way that we do it, from the way that we teach it. But for now, just a couple of different things. So the relationship between the hand and the ribcage. To me, when I'm doing handstand, my arms are doing as little as possible. My shoulders are doing as little as possible. My neck is doing as little as possible. The place that I want to be the heavy lifter in handstand is going to be the ribcage. It's going to be this big scaffolding, this big musculature, this big structure here. Now this big structure here lets me hold my handstand almost effortlessly. And that's where I want to put it into. If my arms are functionally disconnected from my ribcage and I'm asking my rotator cuff, my triceps and the muscles of my forearms to hold me up when I'm upside down, that's not gonna be a place of ease. That's a lot of weight for my arms, shoulder, rotator cuff to carry, and it's, and, and it's a weight that we didn't develop evolutionarily to be able to handle. We were either on all fours prior to standing up, and after standing up, maybe we put our hands down to get back up, but that would be about it. Like, our arms evolved to throw, to run, to be mobile, to be tools, to be out here, to be over here, to come behind the back. Our arms, our shoulders were built for maximum mobility, not maximum stability. Hips were built, evolved for maximum stability. So if I'm asking this thing that was built for maximum mobility to now turn into hips, which were meant for maximum stability, 
you can see it's 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 why some of the, the the top arm balancers in the world are still blowing out their shoulders as skilled as they are gymnasts that don't as have you seen those guys those guys are amazing those guys are incredible but there's a certain thing about gymnastics where there is a breakdown in the tissues even from the ones that are that skilled that professional that have been doing it for a long time because there's a wear and tear on a joint that was not meant to do that and it's usually not going to be a very acute injury something that happened once it's going to be a little something over a long period of time that eventually breaks down in a tensegrity system so in that tensegrity system the shoulder rotator cuff the labrum's in there those are the things that are going to break first or you're looking at traps overdoing it because we need some structural support for the rotator cuff so we're talking about traps and the neck now all of a sudden i've got neck pain or something's going on in my neck because my, my shoulder had to recruit other things in there but it's still a disconnected movement so connecting my arms all the way into my rib cage so my arms become an extension of the power and strength and stability of my rib cage instead of this outlier that's trying to do everything on its own yeah so the way that i teach handstands it's how to connect from the mid upper back the functional arm lines the deep back arm lines so we talk a lot about from the pinky packet of muscle this connection of fascial tissue muscles tendons ligaments that comes all the way through the back of the arm and connects into the upper back so all of these things you see us do and teach this squeeze turn make the whole relationship strong turn from the shoulder blades out take the pinky packet of muscles down and leave the index finger knuckle up or at least don't put as much focus there because if we focus there we're going to again take it to the front of the shoulder and we're going to unbalance the back of the arm lines we're going to get this little internal rotation a disconnection of the upper back and now i've got to start doing a whole bunch of other i got to jump through a whole bunch of other hoops to externally rotate my arms to squeeze here take my shoulders down away from my back to try to undo the extra tension that happened from disconnecting the arm line so from the upper back turn the hands out i want this whole relationship to turn out pinky packet of muscles down and then the exploration becomes either on all fours and then moving slowly towards a downward facing dog can i keep the pressure out of my neck and keep the strength in my upper back so as i'm moving you can see here these are gooey soft i'm balancing not balancing on one arm but i've got one arm and just my legs and it's not this where i'm all locked up into my neck and my rotator cuff is is this connected here you can see how this is starting to take over here I want to be here and then once I'm there I can explore it on the other hand and then if I'm there I can start to press back and see oh I lost it there all right come forward what do I need to do, do I need to turn my hand out a little bit more hand in a little bit more and I want to see how much ease I can have here and how much I can move around and keep the weight there Hope that makes a little bit of sense as far as when I'm talking about how I prep handstands. It's going to be something like that. How to connect the hands into the upper back becomes a really big thing on whether someone can do a handstand that they're going to be able to build and have more mobility and upside down. Yeah, so we got some other people taking pictures behind us. Their pictures are cuter than mine. They're like dresses and shit. So, all right. I'll talk more about that, about the handstand thing. One more question, the last question I kind of want to talk about 
um, before I, I, I move on and give you guys some time to ask me some more. Um, Tiffany with the TBA engagement, how it applies to mobility. Huge, huge, but it's not the only one. I know that that's the one that gets the TBA, the transverse abdominis. It's, it's, it's the one that gets a lot of press nowadays, which is cool. It's great. It's, it's, it's definitely a step up from the fascination with the six pack. The six pack, you know, like the, the abdominal, the abs, the abs. So the abs are very superficial muscles. They're very on the front, they're the top layer, they're very, very superficial muscles. They're not meant to hold posture deeply. There's deeper muscles that do that. There's layers of muscles behind the, the abdominals and the obliques even. So one of the layers that's behind the abdominals is the transverse abdominus. So the transverse abdominus, the TVA that Tiffany was asking about, it's this flat layer of muscle behind the abs. It's almost this flat sheet, super strong, but this flat sheet that goes along the front. It actually connects all the way through the back through some other muscles and things, but through the thorough lumbar fascia. So it's almost you got a TVA in the front and a TVA on the back. I know we usually only talk about the TVA on the front, but functionally, it, the thing wraps all the way around. So now that is more of what we're talking about when we're talking about core, closer to the core, closer to the spine. But I'll go a little bit further. While that corset of the transverse abdominus makes a big importance wrapping all the way around, the diaphragm, now, the diaphragm that we're talking about in breathing, the diaphragm that goes like this, almost like a jellyfish. Justin, if you're, if you're out there like listening, Justin's imagery sent me a message the other day about jellyfish and like such a good image. So you can almost imagine this jellyfish dome here that as you inhale, it pulls down to bring your breath in. And as you exhale, it comes back up and pushes your breath out. So the diaphragm and its connection into the ribs also has something to do, has a lot to do with your core. The psoas muscle that runs from your spine and wraps around the heads of your thigh bones. The, the QLs on the back, which is almost like your back psoas. This inner, these inner layers, this structure of the diaphragm, the TVA, the thoralumbar fascia, the psoas strings there, the QL on the back. You can almost see almost like this jellyfish with these tendrils coming down and these sheets on the front and on the back. And then in front of that, the layer in front of that would be the abdominals and on the back it would be the erector spine and some other muscles and you know you've got the lats and you've got um, the rhomboids and you've got some other things but this core structure on the inside when I'm talking about core that's what I'm talking about this cylinder of strength closer to the spine like that is meant much more to hold us in our posture in our neutral posture while the abdominals and more of the surface muscles are meant to be much more dynamic much more dynamic much more so we can respond and move and twist and it's why there's not just one muscle but all these different compartments to these muscles that can do so many different things and fire in so many different ways but if the layers underneath that of the transverse abdominis if the thoralumbar fascia if the ql the psoas and especially the diaphragm is not functioning the way that it should should and it is with as much freedom as it can with it's restricted by some reason and they can't move or it can't turn on or it can't fire well then superficial layers are going to have to kick in and do that so now if my abdominals 
are holding my posture because the stuff underneath it is is asleep. Now my movement, my mobility is going to be restricted. I may have a fucking great looking six pack, but now that great looking six pack is what's holding me in posture. And not only is it holding me in posture, but these muscles here, this is their job. They're not 360, they're here. So now it's putting me into this position. So now even coming more to a neutral place, I'm fighting my own abs to be able to come here. It still wants to pull me down. And now my abs can't be used for mobility because they are on all the time because they're what's holding my posture. Yeah, does that make sense? Another thing that can happen, we overdo the abs because we think, you know, doing crunches because crunches is what we think good core is all about. We make them so strong that the layers underneath them are deeper core will not fire because something else has already taken over. There isn't enough load being put on the layers beneath the abdominals to even get them to fire because the abdominals are so used to kicking on. As soon as the deeper musculature is supposed to turn on, the abs go, gotcha. So the layers underneath don't even get a chance to feel that load, which will cause them to fire. Does that make sense? So that's why when you see me do some of the movements that I do that I can go upside down and I can move my legs, I can go to the side, I can come back and it's not just kind of one movement and I can do this and then I turn and then I come down and then I come up. It's, I'm not even sure where my legs are gonna go but I'm taking them there and I'm seeing what turns on and what's gonna fire and what can let go. Those explorations are only possible because the superficial layers aren't having to hold my posture or having to hold me in space at the deepest layer the deeper core the tva the thoralumbar fascia these other things are the ones that are going to be holding me in place so now the dynamics can play the dynamics can dance yeah and and there's so much more like fascinating things that we can talk about when it comes to that so the breath if you can think even the way that the rib cage goes like this the diaphragm is a dome inside of the rib cage and these things are all attached to each other very like just simple image yeah but now if i can use my diaphragm my breath to expand the rib cage you can see how all the tendrils of the jellyfish when the rib cage is expanded all the tendrils of the jellyfish all the rubber bands get to lengthen and get a stretch put into them so now that stretch, now you become like this rubber ball with all these rubber bands being pulled with just enough tension that now you're not just this mechanical robot. Now you're this bouncy, elastic, dynamic creature of fun that can dance and play. So short answer, Tiffany, it's got a lot to do with it. We'll talk more about that later. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Oh, it's a cat. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll cut it up. I'll try to cut up parts that that don't mean so much you can watch the whole thing on youtube uh, please let me know whatever questions you got this is fascinating to me go out move play be curious be engaged it's how you went from on your belly to standing up you became fascinated when we were on our bellies couldn't even lift our heads the thing that brought us from being on our bellies to lifting up standing up and playing with our universe playing with our world was being fascinated being curious some cool shit is going on over there and I'm trying to lift up in order to see it. That's what developed our back muscles. That's what gave us spinal curves. That's what strengthened our muscles enough to be able to sit, to be able to stand, to be able to walk, to be able to run, to be able to play. Don't forget that. It's primary. Love you guys.